0: This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Darrell Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. Hello, this is Russell Moore. You're listening to my podcast, and this is the first episode of a regular series that we will have here on the russell moore podcast called the cross and the jukebox i used to do uh, a program called the cross and the jukebox many years ago maybe even a, a decade ago Uh, and I have missed it ever since, of being together with you and and talking every week about music, culture, and religion. And so some of you who may be uh, joining us for the first time on this may say, well, what are we going to be uh, looking at, and why country music mostly? We'll be talking about some other things, but mostly country music. And the answer to that is because that's mostly what I know. I, I listen to a lot of different kinds of music, but... Country music is is something that's been with me from the very beginning and sort of spans uh, generations in in terms of uh, understanding. You don't have to know anything about country music or even to like it. Uh, to join us for the Cross and the Jukebox. Uh, when I did the other iteration of it before, one person who listened regularly uh, not only didn't like country music, he said he was a, a hip-hop fan and said he didn't think he had even listened to any country music in his life other than you know a couple minutes here or there if he's in a store where they're playing it. Uh, but he could see the overlap, and I think there is a lot. Of overlap, particularly in hip hop and country music, as a, as opposed to sort of general market popular music. But uh, what we're going to be doing here is looking at the particular in some of these songs in order to see the general, what it means to be a human being. So, if you think of, for instance, in Romans uh, chapter two where Paul says, when you see the Gentiles doing what the law says, when they don't have the law, it's because of what's written in the heart and written on the conscience. And in the same way, when you see people reacting against what they know to be right, that also is pointing to something that is given to us by God. We're going to see both of those things all over the place in terms of the human condition as we look at songs. Now, the reason that I stopped doing the cross and jukebox, what I I used to do, was to play a song and say to you, listen to this song with me, and then we'll come back and talk about it. And later on, someone said, you know, I think you might have legal trouble uh, if you do that. Somebody could potentially sue, which was the opposite of what someone had told us when we started. Well, I just want to tell you, there are a lot of things that in my life I can emotionally handle. Being sued by Willie Nelson or Loretta Lynn is not one of those things. And so I'm not going to play the music. Instead, I'm just going to say to you, uh, each week when we talk about these songs, go find it in whatever platform that you listen to in music. And after we're done talking about it, go go listen to it with uh, some of the questions that we will pose here. So let's start. The first song I want us to talk about is Hank Williams, I Saw the Light. Hank Williams, Sr., I feel like I have to, to say that uh, to differentiate him, him from his son, Hank Williams Jr., and then uh, even beyond that, Hank Williams III. Hank Williams was uh, one of the most rocket-like in terms of uh, advance and popularity uh, figures in, in any genre of music. Uh, in the 20th century, and he was really young. I I read a poem one time uh, that said, in in one of the lines, "I am older than Hank Williams ever was," and that really took me aback because I realized, even though Hank Williams seems to be this old, wizened sort of figure, I'm I'm much older than he ever was. I realize I'm older than Elvis ever was. I'm older than JFK ever was. Um, and that's kind of baffling, but I saw the light is the song that I want us to look at tonight. And, and one of the reasons I want us to look at, I saw the light is because I saw the light has a place in a particular strain of American popular culture that if we just look at it a little bit, we're going to see a bunch of other things. I, I, um, was at a funeral one time with my dad and as we were leaving, he said, you know what? I'm a blessed man. I've been to thousands of funerals in my life and never one that wasn't for a saint. And what he was referring to was the fact that yeah, we're, we're at this funeral and, and some of the things that people are saying about the deceased, uh, everyone was thinking, that's really not very accurate to the person that we know. Uh, that happens all the time. One of the uh, funerals that I did really, really early on in my ministry, I was standing back with the pallbearers, and they were, uh, we were waiting to go in, and the pallbearers were looking at the family as they were standing in front of the casket, and one of them said, bless their hearts, they're better off. He was the meanest man I ever knew. And everyone else said, yeah, isn't that the truth? And I thought, man, if you get to the end of your life and your pallbearers are standing back there and saying that you were the meanest person they ever knew. I mean, these are the people that, that are your friends enough that they're asking you to carry their casket. That's a hard life to have lived. And when we went in to do the funeral, they did the special music. And the special music that they sang was Hank Williams' I Saw the Light. Uh, it's shown up in a lot of funerals uh, that I have uh, that I've, I've been to or that I've heard about, and it's easy to see why if you if you just listen to the lyrics, uh, the the sort of uh, narrative arc that the lyrics have. So William says, "I wandered so aimless, life filled with sin. I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night. Praise the Lord, I saw the light." I saw the light, saw the light, no more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow in sight. Uh praise the Lord, I saw the light. That's the you know, that that's the the, the lyrical uh, arrangement of the song. And so it it sounds a lot like uh Amazing Grace in terms of the this is what I was, and then uh, th- this, is, uh, this is who I am right now. Now, there's a really good biography of Hank Williams by uh, Colin Escott, and uh, the section on I Saw the Light is fascinating because he says that I Saw the Light is almost plagiarized from a Southern Baptist gospel music writer named Albert Brumley, uh Albert Brumley wrote a lot of uh hymns that uh, that I grew up singing from the Baptist hymnal uh that we had in my church, but uh, he says that if Albert Brumley were a more litigious man, that Hank Williams would not have been able to sing this because a lot of it was was lifted from that, and he also is talking about how this song came about. He says that Williams was headed home from a dance in in Fort Worth, and as Escott says quote, if all the people who later claimed to be in the car with him that night had actually been there, Hank would have needed a 20 passenger bus. So a lot of people tell this story in the first person, but, but this, is, this is how Escott describes it. Quote, Hank was higher than a kite by the time the show was over. And we were driving home. Somebody who's with him is is saying this. We were driving home and he was in the back seat sleeping it off. There was a beacon light near Danley Field Airport. And Mrs. Williams knew it always took time to get Hank awake when he was drunk like that. So she turned around and saw him. Hank, wake up. We're nearly home. I just saw the light. And between there and home, he wrote this song, end quote. So uh, this song is not, at least according to this account, not written by a penitent sinner who's thinking back on his personal testimony. It's somebody waking up from a, a really, really hard uh, drunk. But Escott argues that's actually part of uh, why the song mattered, that this was the prayer of a backslider. It was a a conscience that knew that the life that he was living is not the way that his life should be. So even if you have somebody who didn't necessarily feel repentance, you have somebody who at least knew he ought to feel repentance. So Escott quotes uh, Bob McNett, who says, quote, some of the loneliness that you found in Hank was guilt because he knew his heart wasn't living up to what he knew was morally right, end quote. That, that, that's, that's really at the, at the heart of this song. And Escott goes on to sort of sum this up by saying the caricature of Hank Williams, as he puts it, with the Bible in one hand and Billboard magazine in the other, has its grain in truth. He knew right from wrong, and he knew that he had been weighed in the balance and found wanting, end quote, and probably would have, because of uh, the background that he had had in Bible Belt Christianity, would have known what that reference was about which we'll probably talk about here later on when we talk about uh, Johnny Cash's version of Belshazzar. Uh, but he, he had been weighed in the balance and found wanting. And so this is where the song came from. And the song is going to show up later on, because uh, as you're nearing the end of, of Hank Williams' life, all of his biographers, Escott included, talk about how there would be moments when he would be too drunk to perform, including just miles away from where I am now uh, at the Grand Ole Opry, at the Ryman Auditorium, too drunk to perform. And Minnie Pearl, uh, who was a comedian, a a really famous uh, comedian in country music circles, uh, she was driving him around before the, the performance in order to keep him from getting drunker than he already was. And this is what she says. She says, quote, we started singing. He was all hunkered down, looking out the side of the car, singing. He was singing, I saw the light. And then he stopped and he turned around and his face broke up. And he said, minnie I don't see no light. There ain't no light, end quote. Now, I think that some people, if they read this or they heard this, they might say, ah, so this is hypocrisy. You have somebody who's singing about something, uh, that he doesn't really believe. and and we've of course, we've all seen that. we've We've seen people who have been um, preachers who later reveal they they don't really believe what they're saying, or uh, people who would get up and sing things uh, for all sorts of other motives, but they don't really uh, believe it. I don't think that's what's going on here. I think instead, what is happening here is a typical pattern of Bible Belt Cultural Christianity, which is a kind of performance. Uh, There's a sense in which somebody knows that there ought to be a redemption story uh, involved, and so I'm going to claim that redemption story. I'm going to perform it out, but after the performance, fear and disillusionment. Uh, I think that that's, that's something that happens in all kinds of lives, and that's what Hank Williams is saying it. When he says there there ain't no light, I don't think what he means by that is that we live in an atheistic universe, that the Bible is wrong when it says that the light has come into the world. Uh, I think what he's saying is that there is no light for him, that, that, that he is not seeing the light, uh, that, that he's not in touch with the light. And so if you look at the, the lyrics of the song, there are several themes in it that are coming out of that sense of conscience combined with that atmosphere of revivalistic Christianity. I mean, one of those is lostness. Um, I, I had a life filled with sin. He's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm wandering, that, that kind of wandering, lost uh, language that's going to show up uh, elsewhere in Hank Williams' uh, Lost Highway. Uh, is is one of the songs that he was famous for, for instance, and that language of lost is one that would would have been really familiar in, in the sort of Alabama Bible Belt uh, culture that that Williams was living in. There's, um, there's even, I mean, growing up in Bible Belt cocoon in more of a New Orleans culture along the Gulf Coast of Mississippi. I just grew up with the understanding of thinking of people. In terms of categories of saved and lost, and one of the things that it was really apparent to me early on is how confusing that would be to uh, some people who would uh, who would say if they if they heard that kind of language, well, I don't feel lost. I don't feel like I don't know where I'm going. As a matter of fact, I know exactly where I'm going, and it's not where you want me to go. But that lost language is coming right out of. Uh, the, the way that Scripture is picturing humanity. So, uh, for instance, when Jesus is using this language of shepherd that's implied uh, throughout this song, it's because the sheep are scattered, or uh, in, in one of his uh, uh, renderings of it, a sheep is lost in the woods, and the shepherd is, is leaving behind the 90 and the 9 to go and get that sheep. So both parts of that are important. Lostness, you don't know the direction that you're going. And sheep, there's vulnerability, sense of vulnerability. Sheep are uh, prey for predators. And so that that sense of vulnerability is there. Along with, he says, I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. That's also a theme that would have been really apparent to uh, Hank Williams in, in uh, Bible-built um, 20th century culture because of uh, the language of ask Jesus into your heart, or uh, even in terms of the hymnody, softly and tenderly, Jesus is, is calling. Um, now, that, that's coming, too, from a place in Scripture, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, if anyone uh, would hear me. Uh, then I would would come in and and eat with him and, and drink with him and have fellowship with him. And so there's a there's sometimes an overreaction to that language in a way that, uh, that that kind of makes fun of it. but it does speak to it's not the whole of the gospel, of course, at all, but it does speak to a particular metaphor of what it means to be united to Christ. and he's he's referencing that. And he he references specifically uh, in this song, uh, just like the blind man that God gave back his sight. So again, you you hear that amazing grace sort of um, uh, sort of progression here. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. He's using that language of blindness uh, too, and that blind man. I I can't help but think as I think about this song right now uh, about John nine uh, and the way that sometime earlier this year, for the first time, I saw the connection between John 9 and John 10. John 9 is a man born blind, and you have the the people who are saying he's born a sinner. There's There's a reason why he's blind, and the reason he's blind is that he's sinned or Uh, His parents have sinned elsewhere in Scripture, and Jesus rejects all of that. He he heals this man. um, It gives him his sight. And then when you come into John 10, there's immediately that shepherd language. I am the good shepherd. I care for uh, my own. I care for the sheep. And Jesus says something really interesting as you go from John 9 into John 10. He says, because you, says this to the religious leaders who are condemning uh, the man and and putting question upon Jesus. We don't know where you're from. I think implying uh, uh, that, that as they will uh, elsewhere in Scripture, implying that somehow he's the the product of uh, illegitimacy or, or what have you because of uh, the virginal uh, conception. Jesus says, "Because you say that you see, you are blind. Your guilt remains. Those who say that they can see are blind." Hank Williams here is identifying himself with that blind man, again, that sense of um, desperation, like being lost without knowing where to go, blind and not knowing uh, how to to move forward, how to even see the light, as he'll say uh, later on. And he says, Jesus came like a stranger in the night. Now, that's important imagery too, uh, you, you have that happening uh, throughout Scripture where God is uh, confronting people suddenly. So think of, for instance, Jacob wrestling with God on, on the, uh, in the darkness, and he says, I, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. He wants to know what his, his name is. He's coming like a stranger in the night, or how many times in the Gospels, Jesus is seen, and he isn't immediately recognized. Multiple times in the boats uh, where he has to reassure his disciples he's not a ghost. It is I, uh, be not afraid. Or uh, at the resurrection, Mary at the garden, she doesn't recognize him at first. She supposes that he's the gardener. Or uh, when he's walking along with the people on the road to Emmaus, and they don't recognize him until he breaks bread uh, with them, and suddenly they, they see him. The The apostles, the people who are closest to him, when he appears to them in Galilee, at first they don't know uh, who he is. So there's a suddenness and a strangeness uh, that takes place with the confrontation of uh, Jesus. And so what's happening here is that there's an intervention and Williams sees this as being light, important biblical metaphor. John chapter one, First John chapter one, speaking of Jesus as the light that comes into the, the world. That's uh, consistent with the imagery that we have of, of God leading His people as a pillar of fire uh, out of Egypt. Uh, the, the the language of the light of the glory of God. And the, the light that is there is a light uh, that is not only illuminating, it, it shows you where you're going, but it's also kind of scary. The light, Jesus says, comes into the world and people hate the light and, and love the darkness because their deeds are evil. You don't want everything to be brought to light. And so the light that Williams sees here, he then goes on to say, there's no more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no trouble in sight. That's a typical trope in sort of um, cultural evangelical uh, testimonies, Uh, the sense of uh, once, here's my life before I knew Christ, then I met Christ, and ever since then, things have been good and things have been happy. But that's not the way that Scripture presents life in Christ. It is a life in the light, but it is a life in the light that will seem often like darkness in this time between the times. Uh, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Psalm uh, 23. And if you think of, for instance, uh, T.S. Eliot, I'm thinking a lot about Eliot uh, these days because a group of friends and I are rereading through four quartets. Uh, and, and one of the most striking images to me is in East Coker, where uh, Eliot talks about the light that is going down during a stage performance, which is really the changing of the scene. He, he's using that, uh, that dark night of the soul uh, sort of uh, imagery. You, you can feel as though you're going through darkness, but ultimately, the Scripture says, the light has come into the world and the darkness does not overcome it. So the light shines and cuts through the the darkness. Now, if you think about the way that this sort of language is used uh, later on in, in some other uh, music, I think of Brooks and Dunn did a, a song. Um, I saw the light, I've been baptized by the light of your love and the fire in your eyes. I think it is. I'm born to love again. I'm a brand new man. Now uh, that, that's using that that light language, that baptism language, that born again language, but it's talking about love, and and, and talking about not uh, not the agape love of God. It's talking about erotic love. Uh, or you think of Winona Judd, who uh, I saw the light in your window tonight. That's uh, talking about somebody who is cheating on on her. Well, that's a very different sort of connotation than what Williams is at least hinting at here, and and what I would argue it seems to me he is aspiring to, and I think part of the problem was Williams, of course. I um, mean, you know, all all our, our problem ultimately is always ourselves and our sin, and and in his it was self defeating uh, sorts of, of behaviors and, and attitudes, but. Part of it was the kind of almost gospel that is often presented that does make it seem as though life in Christ is a total move from lament to happiness, from failure to victory in every way that's kind of built off of an advertising culture. If you try this product, your life is going to be better uh, after that, but that's not the picture that the scripture is giving, there is an entrance into joy, but it is a cross-carrying kind of joy. There is a walking in the light as he is in the light, as John says, but that is a that is a path where you often do not know. You are being carried where you do not want to uh, go, Jesus says in In uh, John 21. And so the the light that is shining in the darkness here is a light. If you think about the way that uh, 2 Corinthians uh, talks about the light that was present in the face of Moses, that is difficult for the people to see when he comes down off of the presence of, of God, the light is there, but God speaks Second Corinthians chapter four, let there be light and there is light in our hearts. That's the creative act of God. But if you think about what that's referencing in Genesis chapter one, it feels like chaos at first, formlessness and void, and the spirit is brooding over the face of the waters. But William's here, even if he never experienced it, he knows something about it. And it seems to me that he wants it to be true. He wants there to be light. So when I hear Minnie Pearl saying that Hank Williams is saying there ain't no light, I don't see that as a cynical dismissal. I see that as a cry of pain. And I think a lot of people know what that cry of pain is like. And a lot of people, are uh, they keep themselves back from the light, not because they assume necessarily that they're too good for the gospel, but because they assume that they're too bad. That there's no light for them because they're too far gone, which is very different from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes uh, this sort of um, this sort of encounter almost with light can leave you slumped over in the back of a Cadillac, as it did with Hank Williams. He's dying on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day uh, not too long uh, after this. But, you know, we don't really know what happened in those last few minutes of Williams' life, do we? I'd like to think that maybe Hank wasn't alone back there in the back of that Cadillac that night, but maybe there was a stranger in that night too. And I'd like to think that maybe, just maybe, in those last moments before death, he saw that light that shines in the darkness that the darkness cannot, will not overcome. Maybe he saw the light. I don't know. What I do know is that you can. We'll visit next time. And once again, when we do, we will listen to the jukebox as we stand for the cross. This is Russell Moore. Until next time, onward.